Welcome back to your dearly departed Thanksgiving turkey's favorite podcast, or at least it was up until a week ago, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. My name's Stephanie Brimhall. I'm the Kansas City Symphony's Education Manager. I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. And I'm Mike Orton, Principal Flute. Well, we hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, uh, that you ate more than you thought was possible, that you got to see your family, at least over Zoom or FaceTime, and that you were ready for not only the best month of the year, but thank goodness it's also the last month of 2020, the month <laughs> of December. That's right, Mike. You know, December, I got to say, it's definitely my favorite month of the year. And normally at the Kansas City Symphony, we are as busy as possible this time of year, filling both halls of the Kauffman Center with glorious holiday music, including the Messiah, the Nutcracker. We usually have a holiday film right before Christmas and, of course, Christmas Festival. We are really sad that we don't get to bring you all these terrific performances live this year, but we do have some great holiday music that's going to be coming your way via the Internet over the next three or four weeks or so, so make sure you stand by for that. That's right. Jason, you're working on some fun stuff for the holidays, is that right? Yeah, indeed. Uh, we're recording some some great holiday music coming up here in the next few weeks. So you're working on that, and I'm working on Tuba Christmas 2020, Woo-hoo! the virtual edition. Woo-hoo! We'll have that for you guys as well. Um, so yeah, definitely stand by uh, on the interwebs for those those fun programs. You know what? I love the holidays. Um, I've always loved the holidays, but since having kids, I especially love the holidays. They have been making their Christmas wish list since like July. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all piling up, but um, it's just an awesome time of year. And I would assume that most of Kansas City has been to um, some performances during the holidays, like the Nutcracker or the Symphony's Christmas Festival. And if you've attended before, you know that two instruments are often featured this time of year, and those are the organ and the harp. We've had so much fun talking with Jan Crable a few months ago, learning about the organ. And, you know, guys, we have received so much positive feedback about that episode. They, people learned so many fascinating things about the organ. And we thought that another instrument that most people don't know that much about is the harp. Well, that's right. And uh, that's why we're so excited today to uh, have a chat with our good friend, Catherine Siochi, who joined the Kansas City Symphony as principal harp last year in our 2019-20 season. Uh, it's the first season you're always going to remember, right? <laughs> and uh, she has been a tremendous addition to the orchestra, and we welcome her to the show today. So welcome, Catherine. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Absolutely. We're so glad you're here. Absolutely. Well, so, uh, you know, let's start out at the beginning, right? Every good story starts at the beginning. So t- tell us a little bit about your path to becoming a professional harpist. My sources tell me you began uh, piano at the age of five, and then uh, you started harp, which is interesting, actually, because basically exactly those same ages for me, I started piano first, and oh, then cool. the flute. So I'm curious what led uh, what led us in those divergent directions after starting piano. I wish I'd learned the harp, because it's, it's, <laughs> no, it's kind of a lot didn't. cooler to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but much less transportable. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, that's absolutely correct. I started the piano when I was pretty young, and then when I was about nine, I, I knew I wanted to learn another instrument, something that could be used more in an orchestral context, but I didn't really have anything in mind, so it was actually my mom who suggested the harp. It wasn't my idea at all, um, 
neither of us knew at the time how much of a hassle it was. Otherwise, we probably, <laughs> probably would not have gone in that direction, but we didn't know. So I just was like, sure, I guess I'll try it. So I just kind of jumped into it. And I think I enjoyed it like right off the bat because it was so similar to the piano. So it was really easy to make that transition um, from the piano to the harp. Because even if you just think about what a grand piano looks like and then just kind of imagine turning it up on its side, even the curve of the instrument um, for the different lengths of the strings, it really functions in a very similar way, except on the harp you are actually plucking the strings and on the piano a hammer is, is hitting them. But the way that the left and the right hand kind of function is very much the same, like the left hand will play the lower strings, the right hand will play the upper strings. And even just looking at harp music, it looks pretty much the same as piano music. So I think I really enjoyed it because it was it was pretty easy to um, conceptualize the instrument in, in a similar way as, as the piano. But I think having the piano background is so helpful, not just for harp, but for any instrument, because you actually can visualize every single note and kind of the relationship of the notes to each other um, in the way that the keys are, are laid out. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, you obviously continue studying harp in middle school, high school. You must have had a really great teacher. Uh, and then you eventually went to Juilliard and studied with uh, the New York Philharmonic principal harpist, Nancy Allen. Tell us a little bit about um, what that experience was like and being able to, to train at such a wonderful school and how that helped launch your orchestral harp career? Yeah, I mean, studying with Nancy was incredible. She is not only the most wonderful person, but just has such a wealth of knowledge from her years on playing in the New York Phil. And also, at being a soloist, she's, you know, amazing in both of those uh, realms. And I think, actually, being an orchestral harpist, um, you have to also have that soloistic quality because the harp is usually alone and I think when you take auditions too um, that's something that makes you stand out so both of those aspects but especially her knowledge of orchestral repertoire every week she would bring in different excerpts that she would give us all a class on we had to prepare and just having her kind of conduct us through them and and share like her inside experience with you know tips and tricks and like certain things you need to know for particular excerpts I think was just so helpful, um, really, in preparing me for um, possibly having an or- orchestral career. So at the time, I didn't really think about it. I was just focused on school. But looking back, I think that was a huge factor in, in you know, preparing me for that world. And you've had quite a remarkable career so far. I mean, both as a solo harpist and as an orchestral harpist, you won the gold medal in the 2016 USA International Harp Competition. You were the, only the second American harpist to win that prestigious competition since 1989, which is amazing. Um, then you went on to serve as the principal harp of the Sarasota Orchestra uh, from 2017 to 19, and now you've been here in your role in Kansas City for a little over a year. Um, we know that orchestral auditions are extremely competitive, but harp, you know, much like tuba or various other singular instruments in the orchestra where there's only one position is even more competitive. Um, Tell us about that process of preparing 
for an orchestral audition because you've successfully won two big ones so far. So obviously you have some probably some good tips for anyone <laughs> on any instrument of how to prepare for an orchestral audition. What, what is your uh, approach to preparing? Oh, man. Well, uh, so like I said, I'm just so grateful to my teacher, Nancy, because she prepared me so well for that. And I think she encouraged me to do lots of solo competitions too. So I think that was actually really helpful later for auditions, just in terms of putting myself in really stressful situations and having to perform at a really high level um, under pressure. Like that, the international competition that I competed in, it was, you, you had to memorize like two and a half hours of music. <laughs> and wow. then com- when you compare that to playing a 10 or 15 minute orchestra round, it doesn't seem quite so bad. But I also have to say, in some ways, orchestra auditions are actually harder because because it's so short, um, you have less time to kind of get comfortable and really prove yourself. So one thing I did before um, the Sarasota audition, which was only my second orchestra audition, um, was I, I like found different people um, that I could play for. So I played for a different person every day um, in the few weeks leading up to the audition, just kind of like mock orchestra audition rounds. And that was really helpful, not just because of their feedback, but I think also it just got me used to the whole process of running through excerpts in like random orders. Like I would have the other person pick um, pick excerpts, cut me off, and try to sort of mimic that process. But I think for the harp in particular, aside from obviously being as prepared as you can be, really my advice for auditions is is to play very soloistically. Um, I don't know, it's my, probably that's not the same for every instrument, but I think because a lot of our orchestra excerpts that we audition with are like solos or cadenzas, and also usually a couple concertos are on those lists, I think in order to stand out, you really have to um, take that opportunity even though you only have like 10 minutes usually to say something that's really powerful, really special and, and have a very personal voice. And I think you need to be really expressive and, and just produce something meaningful that, that the panel will remember. Yeah. I think that's my biggest strength in auditions. Cause I'm not technically like maybe the strongest player. Um, I've never played a note perfect audition. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, I was, at, I was not on your audition committee. Uh, as associate conductor, we don't sit on committees, but I did listen to the final round of, of oh, the really? audition when you were here, and your performance blew me away because oh. uh, you're, you're being modest. You're saying that you're never technically perfect, but it was technically amazing, oh. and it was musically so engaging. <laughs> and I think you, you bring up a good point about, you know, you ha- really have to be soloistic. You know, a lot of instruments, like if you're a violinist auditioning for an orchestra, it's kind of a different approach, I think. I think you brought up a good point because mm-hmm. as a violinist, you're one of 12 or 16 in a section and your whole uh, goal is to, yes, be musical and artistic, but also show that I can fit into a section. Right. Whereas you need to kind of stand out in many of your big moments. Yeah. You know, I think your teacher, I mean, obviously she's done wonderful things with you, but I think she did you a real service in the... Um, you know, making you do those, well, not making you, encouraging you to mm-hmm. do competitions and things like that. I think that's something that's really important for young players. And then to continue to do as you grow 
is just to understand, I mean, how your mind and how your body react yes. <laughs> in those pressure, pressure situations. I mean, and you're never going to know what that feels like until you're actually in that moment. It's nothing that Absolutely. you can practice without actually doing. That's um, so true. <laughs> yeah. But I also wanted to ask you, I mean, in speaking about the audition process, we talked a little bit about this when we talked with Josh Jones um, about his audition, but it's very different doing, you know, like a flute audition or a violin audition when like you show up and you have your instrument with mm. you. And that's very different than if you're traveling across the country to take an audition, you might bring your own harp with you yeah. or you might not. And I know um, I actually got to work a little bit of this audition, um, not not in any official capacity. I was just checking people in. <laughs> and um, But, you know, I mean, some people brought their own harps and some people didn't. And I know we had a technician um, on site that was helping, um, you know, players get their instruments set up and, you know, working just right. And so how does that factor into everything when you're when you're doing these auditions and you may or may not be on your own instrument? Yeah, it's really hard. Um, first of all, I have to say that this audition was one of the best organized harp auditions I've ever taken. And the fact that you guys brought in that harp technician is not something every you know, every orchestra does. It was really amazing. It was, everything was, was top notch. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it totally varies, I think, depending on the location of the audition and also the timing of things. So I had friends who took this audition and they drove from New York or maybe even further so that they could bring their own harps because obviously with any instrument, every harp is, has its little, own little quirks and different strings respond in different ways. The pedals respond in different ways. So th um, that's definitely the best way to ensure that you're really comfortable with the instrument. But I did not play on my own harp. I actually, I couldn't, there wasn't time to drive, although I considered it, because I had to perform a concert actually in Jacksonville, Florida, like the night before I flew to Kansas mm. City. So I wasn't even in Sarasota, like at home. I couldn't leave with my harp and so I had to fly there <laughs> um, but I actually knew a fr I had a friend who lives in Lawrence Kansas who was really generous and I borrowed her harp oh, um, wow. so I was able to at least then like take it to my Airbnb and like practice on it for a few hours before the audition as opposed to otherwise if you go in and use the provided instruments you might only have 15 minutes 20 minutes to get used to it and then you have to go out and play and then other people have to use those harps so then you don't get a chance really until right before you play again. So that was, I think that was kind of a good option because then I had a little more time to adjust to it even though it wasn't my own instrument. But in Sarasota, I, I just played on a harp they provided and actually I didn't get to play on the actual audition instrument until I went into the room. Wow. <laughs> because they crazy. used a different harp for the warm-up harp because um, they only had one good sounding harp. Um, and they, I think they also wanted to hear everyone on the same harp. So mm -hmm. to compare the sound, which makes sense. But so, yeah, literally like the first time I touched it was like when the panel was already listening to like judge my playing. <laughs> Thankfully in the US there's one major heart maker called Lion and Healy and they're based in Chicago. So at least the general like the size of the instrument, the space between the strings and like generally the like the amount of tension on the strings, it's pretty similar from one Lion and Healy to another. 
So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, at least it's the same make of harp, but but of course there are many subtle differences. I'm so glad that you asked that question, Stephanie, because um, some of our uh, very dedicated listeners, uh, a great married couple here in KC, Quentin and Kristen, I told them that we were going to be talking with you, Catherine, about mm. the harp and they were giving me some questions to ask <laughs> nice. in advance. And that was actually one of the questions. Like, how do you, what happens if you fly overseas and have to play a concert? Do you use someone else's harp? How yep. hard is that to get used to? So I think that uh, special shout out to Quint, Quentin and Kristen. I think you just got your question answered. That was cool. Nice. Um, we learned a lot about the mechanics of the organ when we had Jan on, like we mentioned. Just tell us a little bit about the basics of the way the strings are organized on the harp. We know there's uh, different colored strings, which of course help you as you're trying to quickly get a visual, just like there are white and black keys on the mm -hmm. piano um, uh, as you're playing, especially something very difficult. And just talk to us about how many strings there are, why the different colors, and how the seven pedals work. Yeah. So you mentioned the colors. The red, all of the red strings on the harp are the C's, and the black strings are F's. And then everything else is just kind of clear. Um, and the red and the black just provide you reference points so you know like you have two kind of evenly sort of evenly spaced out intervals and then that's enough reference to find where everything else is imagine if all the strings were white you would literally have no idea it'd be like playing yeah. a piano without any black keys like you don't have any point of reference right <laughs> so the strings themselves like if you were just to play all of the strings um in a row it would sound like um a C major scale, like it would be like having all the white keys on a piano. And then there are 47 strings. And then the pedals are kind of what function as our black keys in a way. So the seven pedals correspond one pedal to each note. So A, B, C, D, E, F, and G each have their own pedal. And then for each foot pedal, um, there are three different notches, an upper setting, a middle one, and a lower one. And each of those notches um, provides that particular note with a different um, chromatic setting. So when the notch is at the top, every note for that note, every note on the harp is going to be flat. When it's in the middle, it's natural. And when it's in the bottom, it's sharp. And it changes every, like, every single octave of that particular note. So for example, if I had to move an A pedal to sharp, then when I move it down to the bottom, all of the A strings on my harp would become A sharp. Um, so it's it's our way of being able to change keys, add chromaticisms, and and do it quickly in a way that doesn't interrupt our hands. Because yeah, older we'll, we'll probably talk about this more, but older styles of harp actually had hand levers, and so the pedal pedals make it easier to, you know, modulate and everything. <laughs> this might be like a very rudimentary question. And so, and I'm a clarinetist. So like when you put down a button, like that note comes out, you know, um, how do you play like a chromatic scale on a harp? <laughs> Can you do that? You don't. Is the okay. <laughs> I mean, you're explaining it, and I'm like, how? Like, well, okay, how would so, they do that? You can't. You can't. You can try to. It's just gonna sound kind of messy and probably not as fast as you want it to. Like, so I, I transcribe lots of piano music, and that's the one main difference that it, I think things are di more difficult on the harp to do really chromatic things than they are on mm -hmm. the piano. 
And so I've had like some pieces where I'm like, oh, this works great. And then I get to a passage where it's all chromatic and I'm like, oh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of like stumble through it and try to make it work. But it, it never sounds as fluid as it would on the piano. Um, yeah, that's, that's another thing that composers, I think, that we dread sometimes getting new compositions. If composers treat the harp exactly like the piano, usually it's the chromatic mm. stuff that, mm -hmm. that gets tricky. <laughs> so one of the things that I love about harp is that there is so much good music, both uh, in the orchestra, in the context of the orchestra and in chamber music for flute and harp. And uh, you and I have uh, had a couple opportunities to play together uh, so far, and I'm certainly looking forward to more of them. But one, yes. of, one of the things that I always find uh, the most uh, incredible about harp that everyone should understand is what I call the the harp dance, <laughs> which is which is when you're rehearsing because uh, you know for our listeners uh, you have to understand that they change these pedals you know and their their music is marked and their you know their plan is to go from you know start to finish through the course of a piece so if you start in the middle of a piece <laughs> at any given point they might have to think real hard about where their pedals ought to be at that moment if they've <laughs> gone through the whole sequence of changes of a piece. So when you're rehearsing, of course, you're starting constantly in the middle of a piece. And, you know, for wind players to string players, you know, you just you just yell out, you know, okay, oh, yeah, let's start at 47. Okay, ready, go. And then at that point, every harp player on earth has this look of panic in their eyes, and they start ka-chunk, 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 ka -chunk, all the pedals moving like... <laughs> and then no wait i missed one <laughs> yeah the, the the way around that is we can write in these little diagrams where we mark the pedal settings at different points throughout the piece but we never have enough diagrams so of course even if it happens a couple measures after where we have one marked in it's already not relevant <laughs> at that point <laughs> it's, it's such an amazing process I mean, it's, it's truly uh, yeah, to to actually get to watch a harpist closely and see what their feet are doing while their hands are playing, while they're you know usually looking very graceful about the process, <laughs> is, it's just unbelievable. But uh, talk, so talk to us a little bit now about like the actual mechanism inside the harp uh, of how this works, because I think this is incredible to watch. If you look closely, uh, you can see a little bit of the mechanism, mm. the little pins at the top of the instrument, uh, you know, turning back and forth to to tighten or loosen the strings, but there is yeah. so much going on inside that thing that no one can see. Yeah, people don't realize um, how complex the mechanics are, and also that's the primary reason for the high cost of the instrument is because of all that mechanical stuff. So the pedals, which are at the bottom of the harp and you move with your feet, um, they have these rods connected to them that actually run all upwards through the column, which is the long kind of pillar at the front of the harp. And then they go even past that um, perpendicularly to the side to run the mechanism through what's called the neck of the harp, which is like the top part that the strings are connected to at the top. And the mechanism moves, like Mike was saying, these little pins, they're these discs that have pins on them that rotate when you move a pedal. So when the pin rotates, it pushes into the string um, to slightly shorten it. In this case, it's by a half step. And then when you move the pedal, so it, it'll do that. One of the pins will engage if you want to make it go from flat to natural. If you want to go to sharp, then there's an additional disc. So there are two separate ones that will move. So then there's 
two pins pushing into the string to um, sharpen it even further by an additional half step. So then you have the whole step um, raised. So the mechanics, um, they're, they're super complex and also they can affect, like if they're not, if your harp hasn't been regulated recently, it can actually affect the intonation, especially in the higher notes. Like if the pen isn't quite pushing enough, your note, your sharp note is gonna be more flat then your flat note, and then tuning's a nightmare in orchestra because you're always like ding, 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 trying to like fix that sharp note <laughs> to make it match other players. So basically what you're saying is when you get a harp degree, you also have to dual major in uh, like mechanical engineering or something as well. I, I wish. I, I can't. I actually do not have the skills to regulate my own harp, so it should be done about once a year. I've delayed that because of you know, everything going on these past few months, but I, I they're both, mo both my harps are due for regulation. It, they really need. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, the, the harp is an instrument, of course, that's been around for centuries, uh, millennium actually, in various forms or another, various cultures around the world have used some form of harp or another. Um, but the modern pedal harp, which you play on, was first used as a solo instrument by people like Handel and Mozart, but it wasn't really incorporated into orchestral music. I believe until the 18, uh, late 1820s, early 1830s, mm -hmm. was Berlioz the first composer to use the harp in an orchestral piece with Symphonie Fantastique? Yeah, I, I don't know 100% for sure, but I think that he's the first one to use it in a major orchestral piece as the double action pedal harp, which is the precursor mm -hmm. to the same instrument we play on now. But actually, so like you, like you said, um, you know, harps are one of the oldest instruments. They go back to ancient Egypt, even. Right. But I think the first time that the harp was actually used in an orchestral setting was in Monteverdi's opera um, *L'Orfeo*. Ah, yeah. And but that was not a pedal harp. It was actually a double harp, which has two rows of strings like parallel to each other. So you play on yes. one row with your right hand and one row with your left hand. And he used it pretty extensively throughout that opera. It's really pretty cool. But as far as the actual pedal harp goes, um, when Handel and Mozart were writing, they would have only had what is called a single action pedal harp. So the pedals could only make notes sharp instead of Ooh. having the three um, chromatic options for each note. They just had two options. So it was still pretty limited until about 1810 when um, the inventor Sebastian Erard um, came up with that double action pedal harp idea. Hmm. And I think because, so that then Berlioz in, was it like 1830, had Symphonie Fantastique. I think even though, um, you know, the, the harp existed, composers weren't using it because the development of the instrument, I think kind of lagged behind the development of music, which already before the double action pedal harp was was exploring you know use of increased chromaticism so even with the single action pedal harp it wasn't really up to the task of switching between all the keys that composers needed it to and so they probably didn't take the instrument as seriously which is fair because <laughs> um, it could, just couldn't do a lot of things they probably wanted it to do so yeah, I think then once once that double action pedal harp was invented, that is around the time you start seeing the harp being used more more regularly in an orchestral setting. What blows my mind about that is that the way Berlioz uses the harp in that piece, especially the ball movement, mm -hmm. I mean, it's incredible to think that like this is the first 
other than some operas, like you said, from the Baroque or, or earlier period, it just blows my mind that it he used it in such a melodic and soloistic way, uh, especially in that ball movement, like I said. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he uses it really beautifully, and and listening to that, you would think composers had been including the harp and orchestra for a while, but yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the only, the ball is the only movement with harp, so we just have to sit there for the next three movements. Like That's right. <laughs> Oh. Also, sometimes they rehearse it, and, and they don't tell us the order, and then they skip the second moment, and we're just like, oh, okay. Oh. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I forgot. I thought, I, I was thinking it was in one of the, in the first one, but it it's not. It should right. be, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. Okay. Well, there, there are quite a few pieces like that, though, aren't oh, there? Man. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of one of the challenges, I think, of being a harp player, I would imagine, is having to, you know, sit all that time and then you're on. It's a solo. Yeah, it it was really hard in, in the pit um, last year when we did some ballets and operas like, well, like the Nutcracker. The pit gets really cold. And also I'm just very cold-natured. So the several movements, like before the big cadenza and Waltz of the Flowers, I'm not playing at all, so I'm just sitting there like like rubbing my hands together and I ha even had like gloves and hand warmers a couple times because then you, you're just sitting there cold and then you have to play this really fast virtuosic solo and without your hands being warmed up and that's just something I guess you have to get used to a lot. So speaking of cold hands, uh, you've been playing a lot on our mobile music box series, <laughs> right? And, Good segue. Uh, you know, Kansas City weather, it's either hot or it's cold, right? We, we had, I think, about two days of really beautiful, uh, perfect temperature weather for... Yeah. Oh, uh, stop being cynical. It's been nice. It, it has been, been really nice. nice. It's been really <laughs> nice. It's one thing if you're just taking a walk in the park, and it's another thing if you're, like, moving your fingers. And yeah, that's absolutely cold. true. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, it has been nice. But but tell us about uh, some of the pieces uh, you've been playing, and you've even created some arrangements for your ensemble. Is that right? I actually didn't really. Well, yeah, it, I didn't really create the arrangements myself. In a way, um, some of our. So okay, well, let's back up. So first, my group um, it consists of me and Kayla on the flute, and then four string players um, in a string quartet. So there are a lot of different possible um, instrumental combinations with those with those instruments, and um, actually our violist Jen has created a lot of string quartet arrangements. So mm -hmm. we have a lot of options. Sometimes the string quartet they can play by themselves, or sometimes on like the more popular music, Kayla will just take one of the melodic lines, and I'll just take a score and then try to make something up by looking at the chords <laughs> and trying to read alto clef. It's been interesting. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I just kind of, like, improvise a, a part that goes along with it. Um, but we also have played some cool pieces that um, were actually written for that particular group of instruments. Um, one of the things we've been playing is actually the second movement of Mozart's Flute and Harp Concerto because the accompaniment in the full orchestra version is just a string orchestra accompaniment. So our quartet can play um, the orchestral accompaniment while Kayla and I play the solo parts. And that um, sounds really beautiful. And then another really awesome piece that we've been playing at all of our concerts um, is by an... Uruguayan-born composer. Um, his name is Miguel del Aguila. 
and he wrote actually it was originally this piece he wrote it for trio for flute viola and harp trio in 2013 but when i contacted him to purchase the music he said oh did you know also i have other instrumentation options for this piece the piece is called submerged and one of the options just happened to be our group with the six wow. of us so we were like oh we can do this with all of us not just the trio and it, it's a super fun piece i'm really inspired by his latin heritage and um the string players actually use guitar picks and hold their instruments kind of like ukuleles and like strum the strings to provide like a rhythm section and so cool. yeah it's really fun so it's been so much fun playing with actual people again <laughs> and even though like you're saying sometimes the weather hasn't been great but just knowing how much it means to all of our audiences makes it so worth it i think we all keep saying together too is like it it means so much to the audience and obviously that's a big deal but it means so much to us and the yeah. musicians just to be together and make to be music. together again yes yeah for sure well and yeah. i can say for sure you guys sound fantastic you know uh catherine and i have on several occasions been rehearsing at the same time in the same <laughs> parking garage <laughs> that's true and, we uh, try to set up yeah. a couple levels away from yeah each they other. go you know a couple <laughs> levels up or a couple levels down from us and uh you know at least for my group hopefully for yours as well while we're playing we can't really hear each other and then as soon as we stop i just hear this yep. you know wonderful flute and harp music coming from two levels up and it's <laughs> fantastic and people stop on the street and listen it's been uh it's a pretty it's a pretty amazing uh vibe actually totally. who knew that the the webster garage in the in the crossroads district would be like the new place where you can hear incredible music well, we've been joking that we should start a full-fledged music festival that occurs entirely within the Webster garage. <laughs> the parking garage series, why not? Why not? Um, Stephanie and I have been around to many of the Mobile Music Box concerts, of course, uh, as staff members, and um, we've both been help. Org Stephanie's organized and planned a lot of them. I've been emceeing a lot of them. I've heard your ensemble, I think, three times now, Catherine, yeah. and I absolutely love the program. I love your performance. It is a unique instrumentation, but it really works, and you guys sound great. It's been wonderful Thanks. hearing you over the past few months. All right, well, we're about to play some Bar Talk, uh, our game that we play here on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, but we, of course, have to ask you our favorite two questions before we get to that. What is your drink of choice? And if you were drinking this uh, beverage with Beethoven, <laughs> who, by the way, never wrote an orchestral harp part, as far as I know, but he did write a string quartet, Opus 74, which is nicknamed the Harp Quartet. <laughs> and by use of pizzicato and various other things, it does kind of sound like a harp uh, at various times. Um, what would you ask Beethoven if you were having this drink with him besides, why didn't you ever write me an orchestral heart part, man? <laughs> Why'd you steal her answer? Maybe that was her answer. <laughs> that could be it. I don't know. No, actually I have another answer. Um, yeah, I, I feel like my drink of choice depends on the time of year. So definitely right now I'm really enjoying, um, like hot cider with bourbon yummy, or like a mold wine. So like red wine that you heat on the stove with mulling spices and some brandy and like orange slices. It's really Ooh, good. Yes. Um, yeah. Man, your apartment must smell good. <laughs> it yeah. actually, every time you walk in the door, there's like a new smell because I'm always like cooking stuff. But yeah. Um, and I would probably be curious to know what Beethoven thought about the fact that his 
Cavatina from his um, string quartet number 13 is hurling through outer space <laughs> on, <laughs> on the golden record. <laughs> he would probably nice. just think that was insane. <laughs> um, cool. <laughs> wow, that's, that's a good answer. I like that. Well, uh, so Jason and Stephanie uh, have both had their shot numerous times at hosting Bar Talk, and uh, you know I tend to win almost every week. Ugh. Obviously, uh, <laughs> much to uh, Stephanie's chagrin. So uh, I figured that uh, I would I would take the week off and uh, give them the chance to finally win once. And uh, <laughs> you know my bet really is on Catherine to win today, and seeing as I'm the one doing the scoring. Oh, dear. I mean, I won't say I can tip the scales a little if I want to, but I mean, I can. <laughs> so uh, we have four questions today, mostly to do with the harp. And as always uh, on this game, I will be uh, awarding points or subtracting points based on how much I like or loathe your answers. <laughs> oh, dear. As always, you have a maximum of 30 seconds, and I oh. will be timing you to answer each question. And uh, be sure to support your opinions. You know, like your English teacher told you, make a persuasive argument always mm-hmm. in this game, mm-hmm. and you will be rewarded. <laughs> uh, and, uh, of course, as always, our illustrious recording engineer, Tim, will keep score. So here we go. First question. Which composer has written the absolute best orchestral harp parts. Catherine, start us off. All right, I don't know if this counts, but actually my favorite is Puccini and his opera. Um, the way he uses harp in the opera orchestra is so beautiful. Um, every part is so satisfying to play because it fits into the fingers really easily, but also sounds really um, virtuosic and lush, and it's really fun to um have the challenge of being flexible to play these parts um, with the singers on stage. A solid answer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Catherine's already off to a good start. Really, it's a, you know, it's it's a harp question. You're you're basically holding serve. You got to <laughs> answer that. All right, Stephanie, you're next. All right. So, oh, that sounded daunting. <laughs> you're next. Stephanie, let's not forget that you buzzed Mike before he even started stop, talking on half of the answers last up. week. So stop. He remembers. <laughs> I see it in his time. eyes. It's revenge um, time for Mike. So, well, I'm not going to start off strong because I, I have to admit I miss I misread the question, and so oh. <laughs> so so. Uh, but I, I think it, it can count, and I am knowing my my judge here. So I because I have listened to Catherine's group perform so many times. This fall, I have been really in love with the Mozart Flute and Harp Concerto, um, and I have really enjoyed listening to that and think that it's just a lovely listen. So that's Aww. I'm going with Mozart right wow. now. That is uh, that is some subtle pandering to the flute judge, <laughs> but the flute I'll judge. but I'll take it. Jason, I, I thought you might. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna have to go. Maurice Ravel, uh, the great French composer, wrote a lot of great harp parts, Daphis mm-hmm. and Chloe, LaValtz. I mean, pretty much all of his big orchestral pieces, I think, have really, really colorful uh, harp parts that are not only soloistic, but they're also, they add texture a mm-hmm. lot of times to to what the full orchestra is doing. I think he was a brilliant orchestrator, and I love the way he wrote for the harp. That's another acceptable answer. Okay, Ooh. good, good. So, all right, it's uh, all tied up so far. Second question. We're going to settle a long-standing debate here. Is the harp 
more a part of the string family or the percussion family. Stephanie, you're up. So we actually had to discuss this recently at a our, our last family concert that we did, where we did Britain's Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. And, and what we did was we put all of the instrument families in different colored t-shirts. And I was all ready to put Catherine in a green t-shirt to be in the percussion family. And then we realized we had to put her in a red t-shirt to be in the string family because that's what Britain wrote. But I stand by that I think the harp should be part of the percussion. I feel like if the piano is, the harp should be also. What? Oh, come on! Yikes! Yikes! <laughs> is it because it, I argued with Britain? It's Britain doesn't know everything. <laughs> Britain doesn't know everything. No, the, the harp. Uh, no, no. All right. And and really, green T-shirt. Oh. <laughs> green T-shirt. I oh, that's that where the green, rub is. Okay. I wanted the green T-shirt. Dang it. <laughs> Well, all right, Jason, you're up. What's your answer? All right, well, now I you have... know what gets a buzz, so <laughs> no, basically I, gave I, it away. I already, I already had my answer anyway. I still feel like it's. I agree, it can be considered both, but I still feel like it's more a part of the string family for two simple reasons. Number one, that's where the harp sits; is usually by the violin, so it's kind of in that area of the stage. Number one, number two, to me, a percussion instrument has to be something that you actually strike with a hammer or a mallet or a stick. And Catherine is, I've never seen her use any of those. I, she just uses her I fingers. Can. <laughs> she can, but it's much like plucking a string on a string instrument. So I'm going to say it's like pizzicato. I'm going to go string family. All right. And uh, finally, Catherine, well, you're the expert here. Yeah. So it is a hybrid. It really kind of is in the same category as the piano. It's the most similar to the piano. But the reason I think it functions more as a percussion instrument is because it doesn't really um, be a part. It's not really part of a greater section. So it's not like part of a functioning in the way that a string section does where you're contributing to a larger group. And also the sound of the instrument is very immediate, just like a percussion instrument. It's hmm. It doesn't have some give to it. Um, the attack is instant. And the way that composers use it is more for like a separate texture or effect as opposed to being part of a bigger section. So I think it's percussion. Also, the Kansas City Symphony website now has me under percussion <gasps> because I must I have said that. something and they moved me from I the string. That. So I win. The end. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Uh, There's the bell. Well, get, hold on. You, we gave the same answer and she got a point? She gets two points. Oh. oh. For diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was, uh, she was very inclusive. And I see. Uh, moving on now to question three. All of you have ridiculously cute dogs, and Catherine, mm. you've got Brooklyn there. Uh, Stephanie has her new puppy Grizz Lee Bear, yes. and uh, Jason's appropriately named Pooch Puccini. <laughs> so, uh, which dog? among those three, would win best in show and why? Jason. Uh, I don't want to go against my own dog because I love him to death. Puccini is a sweetheart, but he's, you know, he's super cute. He is well-behaved around people. He loves people, but he's not good around other dogs. And if you're going to be best in show, it's all about, like, your behavior. And there's going to be a lot of other dogs in the room, so I can't go Pucci. Um, I know that both uh, Brooklyn and Grizz are basically puppies. I'm going to go... Gr uh, Grizz is the youngest, so maybe not Grizz, because might not be ready for that, but I'm going to oh. go Brooklyn. 
because Brooklyn is not only cute, Wrong Brooklyn answer. is sweet. I agree with Mike. She's Wrong not well-behaved. So. Oh, not because okay. of... All right, it's no, not, not your turn of, yet. Let me finish my argument no, here. not because of Brooklyn. Because Every dogs time I've seen Brooklyn... And you've just you betrayed your own, dog. your own dog. I Every time I've seen Brooklyn, I've seen her out and about, and she's always been very well-behaved, so, and she's adorable, so I'm going with Brooklyn. <laughs> I can't believe you would do that to Puccini. Sorry. All right. I love you, Pooch. Love you, Pooch. All right, Catherine, you're up. Tell us why Brooklyn should win Best in why Show. Why Brooklyn's the best? All right. I think so. I think Brooklyn's the best because she's really taught me the art of non-attachment, um, oh. and just how you shouldn't value physical objects so much. Like, oh, you really <laughs> like that rug? I'll chew it to shreds. Or that was your favorite shirt? I'll rip it apart with my teeth and you know i've just become such a more zen person now that i have her (laughs) so maybe there should be a category in the competition of who which dog helps their owner become the most zen okay but she's actually the worst behaved dog (laughs) (laughs) that that's how you express your loyalty for your dog wow backhanded compliment (laughs) (laughs) stephanie you're up all right well i will have to say that as we were talking just then, I had to get up and go remove a shoe from Grizz's mouth. <laughs> oh, boy. So um, so I, I think that disqualifies him. He's adorable and very sweet. Um, we got his DNA results today, and it says that he's going to weigh 100 pounds. <gasps> so oh that's oh. great. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I would say that Catherine's uh, – that, that Brooklyn um, – in her destructive ways, <laughs> maybe should also disqualify her. So I have met and have hung out with Puccini, and he is the sweetest, and he, he's not destroyed anything in my presence, so I'm going to vote Puccini. <laughs> oh. Point <laughs> nice. for the pooch. Point for Puccini, because, I mean, Puccini needed some love, you know? <laughs> Jason just abandoned Puccini. I Great. love him. It, it's not which dog is the best dog. It's which dog would win best in show at a dog competition. Sorry. You know? Well, Grizz just came around the corner and gave me like this look like you Uh-oh. just voted for who? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, right. let you, I'll let you know. Pucci, I'll let Puccini know you voted for him. Thank you, Stephanie. Well, yes. last question here. And uh, this is a tricky one. So be careful. Which one of the three Beethoven walks into a bar co-hosts, Mike, Stephanie, or Jason, would take the longest to tune a harp, and how long would it take them? (laughs) Catherine, you're the expert here. Okay, yeah, well, this is a trick question because it's not possible to tune a harp. Ah, so (laughs) I don't think I can pick anyone. People say that harpists spend 50% of their time tuning and 50% of their time playing out of Ooh, that's a good harp joke. I'm going to have to remember that one. She didn't leave any room for us to make harp jokes. I mean, next time somebody tells me I'm playing out of tune, I'm just going to say it's impossible to tune my instrument. Yeah, it's a good (laughs) cop-out. Nice. All right, Stephanie. Okay, well, I was going to say that it would take me the longest of the three of us to tune a harp because clearly I feel like I understand the least about the harp in general than than the other two, given my questions today and just general lack of lack of harp knowledge. So um, I will say it is me. Oh. No, see, ignorance is not an excuse for playing out of tune. <laughs> yikes, yikes. Wow. All right, Jason, bring it home. Uh, 
I'm going to say definitely not Mike because he's used to tuning his flute. Um, Stephanie is used to tuning her clarinet and to fine-tuning uh, curriculum guides for oh. educational <laughs> concerts and scripts yes. for those, and she does an amazing job at those. Oh. So I'm going to say it's me because you don't have to tune a baton. I haven't tuned anything in at least 20 <laughs> years, so I'm going to go with me. It would take me the longest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, good. Yeah, that, that gets a ding. All right, Tim, let's uh, let's do? see the final tally. Oh, poor Steph. <laughs> in, in third place, we have poor Steph uh, with with a solid bagel. How did that happen? Wow! And then uh, Jason uh, scored a, a respectable duo of points. I'm the new king of second place. The new king of second place. But our winner. Today, here on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, is our principal harpist and guest extraordinaire, Catherine Siochi. Congratulations, Yay! Catherine. Yay, Catherine. That, that felt a little bit rigged. Don't you always let your guests win? No, <laughs> no, no, Mike. No, that's Tim not is not a yes, big yes. That's not true We're just all. on a streak of and our guests winning <laughs> the last three or four. Tim is a very experienced and capable <laughs> mathematician. He certainly would not make any mistakes with the tallying. No, not at all. Not at all. Well, Catherine, as the winner of Bar Talk, something I would know nothing about, <laughs> uh, you, you get to recommend some listening to our audience. So what are you listening to or what... Uh, what would you like to recommend that our audience check out? Yeah, um, as far as harp music goes, one of my all-time favorite pieces is um, Gina Stara's Harp Concerto. Um, it's such a cool piece. The way that he uses the harp is, is kind of like a piano almost. And it's very virtuosic, but also very rhythmic. And there's a knocking on the harp. Um, rhythmic um like strumming and glissandos and you just feel like such a rock star when you play that piece so mm-hmm. i would recommend listening to that it's it's an awesome piece um and another solo piece that i really love is called scintillation by carlos salzedo and mm-hmm. carlos salzedo is one of the major figures um, in the kind of in the 20th century harp world he really um Wrote, he wrote lots of great harp music, was an amazing harpist, um, came up with new like kind of extended techniques for the harp. And this piece, Scintillation, it, it revolves around basically just like rhythmic um, strumming, like fast glissandos. And, but he changes the chords of these um, glissandos just all through moving the pedals. So it... It really, it's something that only the harp could do. So I think that's a good a good one to check out as well. Awesome. Great. We'll add those to the show notes. And we'll also be sure to add photos of all three of our pooches <laughs> to this, yeah. this week's show notes since they were featured uh, today. <laughs> and uh, Catherine, thanks for being with us. What an awesome chat. Thank you so much. It was really fun to talk to you guys. Thanks, Catherine. Well, next week, we'll be visiting with one of the most versatile young composers in America, Nico Muley. Inspired particularly by minimalism as well as music of the Renaissance, he has written operas, film scores, chamber music, and even ringtones. Nico also holds the distinction of having played in a trio with yours truly when we were in elementary school. I'm looking forward to catching up with Nico and hearing all about the last few decades of his life since then. Next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. 